0: we are live hey folks uh welcome back to the raven ministries international training center you folks that are joining us through facebook live I can somebody turn the camera just a little bit i know it's aiming like that way that wire kind of throws it into the kink if somebody bothers it a little bit more a little bit more and she'll straighten it up on her end there you go perfect. just right that'll probably help her out a little bit anyway you folks are joining us for facebook live good to have you joining us as well here at the raven ministries international uh training center good to have our married couple our, our ladies came and good to have you guys back got to celebrate with them this past week and they just arrived back in town from their their fundy moon got to have a little good time together good to have you guys back and all of you as well let's go to the lord prayer as we open up tonight father we just thank you once again just to be able to come into this place lord god and to just get into your word father we thank you that you're you're doing something special lord god in our lives and, Father, we just attribute that, Lord God, to the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord God. And, uh, and, and Lord God, just his love for us, Lord God. He just demonstrated that upon the cross of Calvary. And we just have the opportunity, once again, Lord God, just to come into this place to know you, to make you known. So, Lord God, we just ask you, Lord God, for the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Lord God, just to be upon this place. We need you, Lord God. We need you to to not just speak your word, but to hear it to receive it as well. Lord God, if there be anything in our lives, Lord God, any... Uh, Unconfessed sin, Lord God, on any level We just lay those things down tonight Ask you, Lord God, just to forgive us Uh, Lord God, anything that would impede Lord God, you speaking your righteous words to us, Lord God, by your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we come, Lord God, and we are totally indebted to you, Lord God. and We thank you, Lord God, for the grace and mercy that you've shown us, Lord God, the forgiveness that comes through faith and the finished work of the cross of Calvary, Lord God. Now speak to us, Lord God, in power and mind and wisdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen, and amen. Uh, folks, tonight, you know, continuing with our expository study of the epistles, you know, tonight, looking kind of really be a little bit deeper into the i don't really kind of call up the implications of verse 8 especially 9 as it relates to the author's address towards a really kind of and I, I, I don't know if i hate to say it like this i just use that word for lack of a better term really kind of speaking into the the backsliding or if not the altogether backslidden condition of this group of people if you ever think about that just for a second you know i was thinking about jude jude said that he wanted to uh uh, to write a, a different type of letter, but he said, "Listen, I've got to write a corrective letter just because of the, the folks that have come in preaching uh, false doctrine." But you look at the writer of, of Hebrews; uh, he, he lays it out pretty, pretty, pretty well, and he puts it, makes it pretty, uh, uh, pretty definitive. This is a corrective letter to people that have backslidden from a previous condition or state into another one that he's trying to bring them back to. That let's go ahead and read Hebrews chapter uh, one, verses eight and nine again tonight. But it says under this. It says, "But under the son he said, speaking of Jesus. Obviously, he said, "Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. It's a scepter of righteousness, and it is the scepter of thy kingdom." In verse nine, it says, "You have loved righteousness, and you have hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows." I'm not going to get a lot into that tonight. When it's talking about fellows, it's not about talking. Not talking about fellow kings. It's, it's talking about that angelic host. I'm going to hit that because I'm probably not going to cover that tonight. If you think I. I didn't cover it and so we spent most of our time last week really kind of examining chapter 8 I mean verse 8 of chapter 1 and if you missed that you can always just scroll down through Facebook if you're looking at it much later Just look to what February 9th 2019 and you can watch that uh, video in its entirety Because I'm I'm not going to go touch on a whole lot of that again tonight, but tonight what I want to do I want to kind of really explore the significance of verse 9 uh, really, a little bit more because of how it relates directly to us as followers of Christ. And just as the writer is attempting to kind of pull, uh, point out some of the issues that he's talking to, to struggling uh, uh, Jewish converts. You know, sometimes you, you read things and you, you study the word and, you know, you, you kind of pour over a certain thing and you hit it a lot of a different times in a lot of different ways. And all of a sudden, something is just like, man, you know what? Man, that is significant. It's kind of like that way with verse nine for myself because I think about you know what's the what's the intention of this when we begin to look at it and so uh, again I want to I want to read it again and I want you to think just real slowly because we're going we're going to kind of hit this thing systematically tonight and he's he's given this this message to these 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 backsliding if not completely backslidden uh, Hebrew converts that are going back under the law and all of a sudden he drops this verse at verse nine speaking of the one that redeemed them and he says he has loved righteousness and hated iniquity therefore God even thy God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows another translation uh, translation really kind of similarly reads and it says this it says you love justice and you hate evil therefore God uh, your God has anointed you pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else folks for me this kind of hit me on a different level Uh, just when I was looking at it this week and Kind of just contemplating the implications of this in light of kind of what we've seen kind of unfold thus far in our in our study of Hebrews, I want you to consider a couple things. Number one, the prevailing theme of this epistle is uh, that we uh, would have a better way; that there would be a better way that would be provided, and so this implies that whatever had previously existed, it, it, that really in its in its best version, that possible, or in its or in its rarest form. It remains starkly inferior to that which was now being made manifest to Christ. And so regardless of what it was before, what you have now is the, 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 the most best thing, the, 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 the top shelf, the, 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 the exceedingly greater than anything else. And he's really driving that home. And I think we need to pause because sometimes we think to ourselves, you know what? I mean, I wish things were like they used to be. You know, I can, I can think about things that, that's happened in my life that were incredible. I mean, how many of you have had some incredible experience with is with Jesus? I, I mean, I could go all the way back to just early days of, of walking with the Lord and prayer meetings and time in the scripture or, 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 or incredible times of somebody coming to Jesus. And I mean, I can point to those things. But folks, I don't, I don't point to what was in, in a greater sense than I know that I have a greater expectancy of things that are yet to come. And so for me, as as much as I I like to think about just the goodness of God, all of those things simply provide just a platform on which God is building something even greater. And always think back to the word that he says that greater is is, is the glory of the latter house and greater is that of the former. And so there's an expectation that we can have that it's not like we had this quick fix or this great experience with God. Now, all of a sudden, we just got to kind of hold on because it's never going to get any better. Folks, listen, if, if if you're living that type of life, that it's not getting better and better every day and the mercies of God are not new every morning, you need to stop and take another look at your relationship with Jesus. You really do. And you know, the thing about it is we had a glorious wedding this past week. And, you know, the, the beautiful bride came up, and all eyes were fixed upon her, and, and Caleb was standing there, and his, he was smiling from, from, from ear to ear. And you think, man, it's, and we, 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 we went through the vows with them, and they affirmed their, their love for one another, the covenant of marriage, in front of this, this cloud of witnesses, and that was good. But I tell you what, brother, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. As great as that experience was, as as, as much as we enjoyed getting a, a, some of you guys got a slice of that cake and some of that that fantastic lasagna. You know what? Man, you got to go, you got to break free from the crowd and you got to go spend some time just for one another. And so as great as it was expressing your your love and your affection in front of this company of people, sometimes it's just nice to get with one another and have a conversation as a husband and wife. And so as great as it's been the last week, i got news for you. Somebody that's been going to be married 33 years this year, it gets even better. And so the depth of it, the understanding of that. So if, if, if you're in a relationship with God that doesn't get better every day, you're probably backsliding or backslidden. I going to tell you that. It's not getting better every day if you're not growing it in, if there's not an an anticipation, if there's not a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, you need to push the pause button and wonder what happened to your relationship. I would say the exact same thing about my relationship with my wife. If I'm if I'm not getting more aware, if I'm not getting more appreciative of that relationship with her, I need to stop and take a look and ask myself what happened. And so the writer of the Epistle of Hebrews is saying the exact same thing. He said, Listen, I need to bring you back and get you to understand something. That, that there's a, a relationship that you can have with him that, that, that regardless of what was, as beautiful as that day that, that Pastor Roy and, and, and Kim uh, made their vows, and, and, and you were stunning like every bride was, but it gets better every single day. It may, might, it, it may get better when you're out helping uh, one of you guys' job behind a pressure washer. You may not be as decorated as you were that day, But I tell you what, you're more dedicated than you were that day. And our relationship with Jesus ought to be the same way. And that's what he's saying. So regardless of what was before, when, when it was made manifest through Christ Jesus, it is even better than the previous thing. And so the better way then is being compared to the former way, which was the law. And so it was the law that was given to Moses through that interaction. We talked about it through the interaction with the angels. And it was certainly God's standard of righteousness for mankind. And so when the law was given, tremendous, can you imagine the, 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 the spectacle of it? Don't let anyone touch the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they're going to die. And so you saw the fire up on the mountain, you saw the smoke, you saw the rumblings of the, the thunder and the interaction of the angelic host that, that brought the, the the delivering of that, that, that law to Moses. Can you imagine being those who were out there on the plane watching these things? Can you imagine that? Folks, listen, it pales in comparison to what we have now. And so we think to ourselves, man, what if I could have lived back then? I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad that those patriarchs and those matriarchs of old, they, they, they look with tremendous anticipation of what we get to experience. And the, the, the writer of the epistle of Hebrews is trying to drive that point home. Don't say to yourself, man, I wish I could have been there at Mount Carmel when, when, when Elijah was calling down fire from heaven. You know what? I wasn't at Mount Carmel, but I was somewhere when the fire came out of heaven and not consumed a sacrifice. But when a fire came out of heaven according to promise and it came and dwelt inside of me, that he baptized me with the Holy Ghost... And we're fired. Oh, if Elijah could have had what I had. I'm telling you, what he had was fleeting. Why? Because the second little Jezebel raised her ugly head and he felt threatened. He was in the bully group thinking, woe is me, am I the only one left? Folks, i got the Holy Ghost inside of me. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm filled with the power of God. I can draw from that well at any time. I don't have to flee from Ahab or, or Jezebel. I don't have to find myself wondering if it's all going to end as I'm under some type of, of wilted bush that I'm drawing shade from. And I can dwell in the shadow of the Most High God. I can ascend to the hill of the Lord. Why? Because I can go with clean hands and a pure heart, not because of what Troy Bond does or, or the, the latest revelation or, or whether or not the widow of the, the, the child of the widow of Zarephath rose up when I, when, I, when I dropped my body over. But, man, I serve a God who the Spirit of God said, if his spirit dwells inside of me, it's going to quicken me. And so I don't have to, to 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 pander to my backsliding. I don't have to, to to negotiate with my flesh any longer. Why? Because I can really be crucified with Christ. That's the message that He's trying to drive home about this better way. And so it's it's not changed. And so the law that He gave was a moral law. It was a standard. And so just like lying, stealing, blaspheming, coveting, they're all sinful now as they once were. And so He didn't He didn't come to do away with the laws. What He said, but He said what? He came that the law might be fulfilled through Him. And so the problem up until Jesus came was not a that not there was that not a solitary individual could lay claim to keeping the law in perfection. That was the problem. Nobody could do it. It was given, it was clearly laid out, according to the pattern. If you wanted to know what exactly what it was, you could go look for it. Moses couldn't do it, Isaiah couldn't do it, it's tremendous of, of, of prophetic writings that he gave us. Uh, even Mary, who the Catholics teach that you know she was she was born sinless, she couldn't do it. She she needed a savior, and so nobody could keep that law. And so since man, which was Adam in the beginning, was the one that violated the righteousness of God, which was later obviously spelled out through the law, we had the the law given, and the law was very simple then: just do what I said to do. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, that was the law. And so the law then in the garden was no different than the law later on. He said in the garden, do what I said do, don't do what I don't say do. Bingo! And so the law of Moses came, and it kind of defined those things a little bit greater. So he violated the righteousness of God, which would later on become spelled out through the law of Moses. And so it would require another man, or as the scripture says, the last Adam, to come and meet the righteous requirements of the law in order for man to be reconciled back to that intended relationship with. With God, And this is where it began to spark something with me as I began to read this ninth verse of of, of Hebrews chapter 1. And so this is where that verse really kind of begins to to, to prick something in my heart. Think about it. Jesus came not only as the Son of God, but what? The Son of Man, or as a full-blown representation of what mankind was meant to be. That's what Jesus came for. And so as the man Jesus Christ, which was God come down in the flesh... His character is then described. And it says that his character was one that loved righteousness and hated sin. Now, folks, listen, that seems so simplistic, but here's why that's important. This is important because of the events that preceded the fall of man, specifically the fall of Lucifer, who would become Satan, and how Ezekiel 28 describes his ouster from heaven. Jesus came, he loved righteousness, and he hated Sin, right? Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. I'm going to be reading some verses. I'm not going to read all of these from verses 12 to 17, but most of it I'll hop around just a little bit. Here's why this is valuable and important to us. Now, mind you, this is Ezekiel chapter 28. He's talking about Lucifer and his subsequent fall. And look how he describes him. He said, you were the model of perfection full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty you were the model of perfection in other words you were the mold that everything else would be measured by If there was something that was created by God that that modeled perfection he said he was it he says you were in Eden the garden of God your clothing was adorned with every precious stone jump on it says all beautifully crafted for you set in the finest gold (coughs) It says, they were given to you on that day that you were created. He said, I ordained you. God said, I set you apart. I anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mount of God, and you walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all that you did from the day that you were created until evil was found in you, until iniquity was inside of you, until you regarded iniquity. He says, your commerce or your, your benefits led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace. Now, you know what's interesting about that, especially in this translation? If you think about what disgrace is. You were banished in disgrace. Now, this is a prefix meaning away from or apart from. And so in other words, he had favor at one point. He had divine influence and it reflected in him. And so, when it's describing the, the exquisite beauty and the model of perfection of Lucifer, it was describing him in a place that he was a recipient of the grace of God. Now, you don't think about the angels being uh, beneficiaries of God's grace. We always think about uh, we're in the age of grace. Well, grace was present then, it was just in a different form. And it says, Listen, you had grace upon you, you had influence, you had something that reflected my beauty and my perfection, you were created. Full of wisdom, full of exquisite beauty. But in the day evil was found in you, he said, I banished you in disgrace. In other words, I moved you apart from the place that I influenced you. Mm-hmm. Folks, listen, when we do something that's disgraceful, what we've literally done is what Isaiah 59 and 2 says. It's our, our sin separates us from that influence. We become disgraced or we begin to be removed from that place of divine influence. He said, You've been removed from that, from the mountain of God. He said, I expelled, expelled you, O mighty guardian, uh, guardian, from your place amongst the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. He said, Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor, so I threw you to the ground and exposed you. He says, Listen, you were lifted up in pride because of all your beauty. Somewhere along the line, he forgot that he was merely a recipient of the grace of God. Folks, what does 1 Corinthians what is it, 10 12 say? He says, be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. Don't think that it's all about you. Don't think that somehow you've obtained some place or some standard that, 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 that God's looking at you and he's thinking you know, how wonderful you are. Folks, listen, in, in our flesh, in, in, in us, apart from the influence of God, there dwells nothing that's any good. And the second that we think we can think we can do it on our own, the second that we think that we have something to offer God, apart from just a willingness and a submission unto Him, is the day that we go from the influence of grace to a place of disgrace. It's a place that we cease to function under the power and the anointing. We cease to walk in the joy of the Lord, and now we're walking in all of those things that are associated with the flesh. And so let's follow this through, and look at how this influence how this influence we continue to have. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse... 1-13. So all of those things that we saw in Ezekiel 28 12-17 through 17, happened before Genesis chapter 3. And it says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. It says one day he asked the woman, did God really say to you you should not eat of the tree of the fruit in the midst of the garden? She said of course we can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. That's the standard that he said. He set a standard of righteousness. He said you could do everything except that. He said you must not eat it or even touch it because if you do that, you are going to die. And the serpent said, You won't die. He said, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. Didn't Lucifer see that he was beautiful? And it looked, uh, the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom. And remember what he said about that? You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, and exquisite in beauty. And he would give it to her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it as well. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly uh, felt shame. They felt disgrace. They felt themselves come out from under the influence that they had only known. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And the Lord called to them and said, Where are you? And they replied, We heard you walk in the garden. So we hid because we were afraid, because we were naked, because we were disgraced, because we were out from under the covering of the influence of your spirit. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? And he said, the Lord asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Did you break the standard? Did you depart from the level of righteousness that I called you to? And the man replied, it was a woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. The Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And the serpent, she said, the serpent seed me. She said, that's why I ate it. So then, think about this. The previous model of perfection up to that point was who? It was Lucifer. It was Satan. And so who had been in the garden, likely in some type of level of authority prior to them being there, and he returns to that place that he was was removed from in a place of authority to tempt those that were now modeled after perfection. So he said, listen, Lucifer was created, the model of perfection, full of wisdom, full of beauty, all of these things, he fell. All of a sudden, God created somebody else that was the model or the picture of perfection full of beauty, full of wisdom, full of authority, then suddenly the one that had previously been given that condition shows up on the scene to tip those that have been made even a little bit better way. Folks, listen, that's exactly what happened in Hebrews. Listen, the law came. It was the picture of perfection for what it was. But the law failed and it was weak in the flesh. And so what did it do? It wanted to show back up on the scene and tempt them away that it bought into the new picture of perfection, which was found in Christ Jesus. Folks, do things really ever change? The exact same mechanism and means that drew them away in the very beginning was what tried to draw them away. The same mentality, the same lust of the eyes, the same lust of the flesh, the same pride of life just came in a different mechanism trying to draw something from righteousness to a place of unrighteousness or a failed program that did not measure up to the standards of righteousness that God had for them. And so he uses the same means of which he advocated his position and it's always pride. Listen, you can be in control. Folks, listen, don't we think that sometimes? That we're in control of this relationship that we have with God? Folks, listen, I don't know if you know it, but the scripture says we've been bought with a price. It'd be, out, it'd be like going and buying a house and the people that sold it to you stayed living there. Listen, we come buy by every once in a while and feed the dog for us, but we're still living there. No, when you're bought with a price, you take possession and you take up ownership of it. And so they felt the, the same means was pride. Now they lose access to the presence of God, just as Satan lost access to the holy mountain of God. He had access. You could come to the holy mountain of God. Now they've lost access to him. They cease to be blameless as a result of sin, in much the same way that he had previously been called blameless. And so they move from a place of grace into a state of disgrace, or outside of the favor and the influence of God. And what was the cause? Well, it's Ezekiel. 28, because evil was found inside of you. Well, sister, do you ever find yourself going through times where you feel disgraced? Well, the reason's always the same. It's like I just need to take a look and find if there's evil inside of me. Is there something inside of me that's contrary to the things of God? Otherwise, when I'm walking in fellowship and in right relationship with God. Well, there's a constant flow, there's a constant communication, there's a constant communion with the things of God, and there's there's a constant presence that's accessible to me, and he's constantly being reflected in my life. If there's evil present inside of me, evil is going to manifest itself inside of me. And so the reason this is important to understand, and, and, and for those uh, that, that the letter was originally written to, is because this is the very reason that Jesus had to come as the second Adam and he had to live a perfect and blameless life, and according to the determined standards of God, all of those things that he said, the read that both led up to why Jesus had to come. So then, God, deity, right? That's what deity is. It's God is righteous and can neither neither be or accept anything less than righteousness. And so, if God's God, God's holy, God is righteous. He cannot have fellowship or communion with anything that's not. Period. It's just outside of the realm of, of compatibility with him. 2 Corinthians 6.14, you know this. He says, don't team up with unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, the King James says. He says, how can righteousness partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Can't happen. You can't have a a, a, a light bulb that turns on and it only reflects on part of the room. It's going to extend in all areas. And so he says, you can't have fellowship with Darkness and light together first John 1 5. He said this is the message that we heard from Jesus and now we declare God is light and In him there is no darkness at all There's not the semblance. There's not an inkling of darkness. There's not just a tiny bit of darkness He says that he is light and in him there is no darkness at all darkness obviously is sin or that which is outside the light or out which outside the fellowship with God and so anything that's outside of communication or fellowship with God is what? Sin. And so whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What is faith? It's that moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. It's that something inside of me is bringing me to that place. That's why without faith, it's impossible to please Him. That those that come to God have got to believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, those that, that value the relationship, those that are constantly pressing into the presence of life. And so to redeem mankind then, God had to become man, now I love this, in the same way that Adam was man. Okay? God had to become man in the same way that Adam was man. Now God didn't come become man in the same way that Moses was man. I want to make that clear to you. you got to think about this. He didn't become man in the same way that Jeremiah was man. He didn't become man in the same way that Elijah or Isaiah was man. He didn't come like they were. He had to come in the same way that Adam was man before the fall. Because any other version of mankind would not be the same version of man that had abnegated that place that God had given man. You hear me? Because God only created two people. He created a man and woman. And he called their name Adam. The Bible says that Adam called his wife's name Eve. So God named them both Adam. That's what the scripture says. And so when he came in the form of, of Adam, the second Adam, he came in the form of that first perfect creation that he created that had a choice but that was reflective of him not all of those that came as a product of procreation that followed after him you got to understand that and so when he came he had to come in the same way that adam came adam was created in the image of god or with the same righteous characteristics reflected upon his life jesus came came the same way as in the incarnation he was the way that adam was meant to be and so if you look at the gospels and you wonder yourself man what would Adam? been like, had he not a sin. He'd been like Jesus. The, the power, the authority, the righteousness, the communication with the Father, that's what it was supposed to look like. He came as the second Adam. And so we, we say to ourselves, well, I wonder what kind of life he would have had. Well, he would have lived like Jesus lived. He would have, had, he would have been given the, the Spirit without measure. Why? Because he was. He says, listen, all authority is given to you. I've given you this authority. Be, be fruitful, Multiply. Take dominion. That means to have ultimate authority and subdue those things. Adam was created holy, so we are created, commanded to be holy. What's in 1 Peter 1, Be you holy, even as I am holy. Adam was given all authority. We're given all authority through Christ Jesus. Luke 10, 19. It says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk on snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. That was the authority, the way that he created Adam initially. Adam was created perfect Matthew five forty eight. he tells us be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect so I want you to be as your heavenly father is perfect why because Adam was a reflection of his perfection and so when Jesus came he came as a man like Adam was that man think about Romans 8 3 it says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature so God did what the law could not do he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners now have, in the body God declared in the end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our son's so, so when God became man, he came in the same perfect condition that man was originally in, yet he was willing to do so not in the realm of deity, but rather as a man in right standing with God. And so when he tells us that we, we look at things that are, seem so simplistic, but we, we seem to miss them for some reason. When he tells us in the, in the Matthew 16, 24, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you imitate me. When Paul says, imitate me like I'm imitating Christ, he's saying, listen, I want to show you what the intentional design was for that relationship with God and man. And so whether it was the law with the, the those, those those Hebrew converts or with us through something else, the works of the flesh, or, or, or whatever it is that's evident in our life. He said, Listen, I want to bring you back to that place of discovering who I intended for you to be. Now, folks, listen, this is the victory that overcomes the world, that overcomes worldliness, that overcomes the same thing that brought down uh, Lucifer, that brought down Adam. That's worldliness. He said, I've given you a victory to overcome those things, even your faith. Faith in what? Faith in what Jesus Christ has done to bring us back to a place of restored favor with God. And he wants those things to be reflected in our life. And the second we allow those things to come in and and, and cunningly deceive us and to convince us of something else, what are we basically doing? We are finding ourselves in a backsliding, if not backslidden. Condition just like the Hebrews were that had come to Jesus in the book of, uh, that were turning from Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And so he laid aside the expression of his deity while still maintaining the possession of his deity. In other words, he's listening. I'm not going to express myself as God. I'm going to express myself as man. I want you to see what you should look like. See, that's exciting to me. I want to show you what I'm going to make you capable of If you'll just simply believe upon me. Now, I'm not talking about us being little gods or little Jesuses, but I'm talking about us being back to that reflection of Him, back to that place of divine order and divine purpose operating in those places in our life. And so this meant that the possibility existed for Jesus, if He had the expression but not the possession, to act unrighteously. If He was the last Adam, He was like the first Adam. So the possibility of Jesus acting unrighteously was there. He just didn't do it. And so we say to ourselves, listen, he couldn't do that. Well, why, why do I say that? Well, Satan knew this because Matthew chapter 4, you've read the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. So, uh, so Lucifer, who would become Satan, knew that the possibility was there. And so he was going to throw all the things at him that, that caused him to bite. Well, it didn't work. He was going to throw all the things at him that caused Adam and Eve to bite, but it, it didn't work. Well, Hebrews 4.15 says we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, listen, we think to ourselves, man, I, I, can't, I can't be like Jesus because I don't have the power and the authority. Well, he, listen, he came, and the life that he lived was the life that he gave as his example for us. He came as the second, the last Adam, to demonstrate the qualities and the reflection of the Godhead that should be present in the life of God's creation. Because Lucifer was a created being. Adam and Eve were created beings. We're we're created beings through uh, the, the extension of procreation. We're all created, but God created us to be an expression of his glory. But folks, listen, where there's no expectation of that, there's no expression of that. Because you say to yourself, listen, man, what does... What does God expect me to look like? What does God expect out of me? When I, when I jump in that billiot truck, when I go places, what does, what does he expect from me? Man, when I when I when I show up at Home Depot, man, what who does he expect me to be? When, man, when, I, when I go down to the transit place or I'm pulling them dump those dump trucks somewhere, what, what does he expect from me? Well, he expects you to be in that position, just like Jesus would carry that out. Well, when Jesus was the son of a carpenter and, and done his trades, he was that guy too. He expressed the very image of reflection of God in everything that he did, even though he was tempted to, to be tired. He was tempted to give up. He was probably tempted to God He's tempted in all ways, it says, just like we are, yet he never took it. Why? Because he said to himself, listen, God has given me the ability God is has, 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 has reflecting in me as his son something to set as an example for mankind. I want to bring this thought together for a moment by rereading that passage in verse 9. He says, You have loved righteousness. You've hated and Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Remember, folks, the letter was written to describe really kind of the futility of people returning to law in hopes of making one righteous. When one who could, the, when the one, who could actually impute or appropriate righteousness upon us, had already accomplished that goal. So that was the purpose. They were trying to go back to something, to somehow become righteous. With the writer of Hebrews, he said, listen, the one that came has already imputed. He's already embedded that into who you are through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Folks, listen, for us, we don't do righteousness. We are righteous. Do You hear me? We've been made righteous through Christ Jesus. Because, folks, listen, if we're spending our time trying to do righteousness, all we've done is diverted back to the law. We've become just as backslidden as the, as the, the Jewish converts. But, folks, what happens inside of us when, when it comes to a place of being, then the doing part is so easy. Why? Because it just becomes a natural flow of who you are. Folks, listen, there's certain things about our body that, that, that we have to do. If I want to pick up a piece of paper, I have to think in my mind and those things trans, uh, transfer through, the, to, to the, to, through my brain waves. and instantaneously I'm thinking that, all of a sudden, boom, it, it picks something up. And so I have to think about that. But you know, there's certain things I don't have to think about. I don't have to think about breathing. I don't go to sleep and about 60 seconds into it, I jump out of bed screaming and hollering, oh, I'm suffocating. <laughs> Honey, would you push on my chest while I try to get a little bit of rest? Those things are natural to us. There are certain things that are natural. I don't have to beat my own heart and get the blood to flow through my veins. It's something that's natural occurring. There are certain other things that I have to do, but there are certain attributes of who we are. Folks, listen. The attributes of God to live holy and righteous ought to be natural to us. Now, you know when breathing's not natural? When something covers up the source of oxygen. Let me put my hand over your mouth and your nose and cup it tightly and grab you in a choke hold or something and let's watch you gasp for air. Why? Because something unnatural came into the equation and it blocked the source of that oxygen. Folks, it's the same way with sin. You know what? He, he walked in right. He had all those qualities, just like Adam and Eve did, until what? Iniquity was found in them. Until somebody put their hand over their mouth and nose. So the question for us is just like, them: what happened? For them, obviously, we know what it was. It was persecution. It was it was difficult times, but, but what has cupped its hand over your respiratory system? What is it that's cupped its hand over your nose and mouth that doesn't make living righteously and walking in victory natural anymore? What's left you gasping for the air of victory? What's left you gasping for the, the breath of, of walking in righteousness and overcoming? Romans 4.24 says, God will also impute righteousness upon us if we believe upon him. He'll pour it into us if we just simply believe. Now, here's the question that's got to be asked. What is the evidence of that in our life? Because I can talk about having it all the time. You hear me? I can talk about walking in faith and being born again. I can I can talk about All of those things in our life. But what is the evidence of those things? Well, man, don't you just love Jesus? Jesus came to demonstrate the evidence of what those things look like. If I get back to right relationship with God, I get back to a place that looked like it was meant to look like beforehand. Now, here it is. Here's the evidence of the imputation of God's righteousness in our life. You will love righteousness, you'll hate sin, you'll be anointed of the Holy Spirit, and you'll walk in the old of gladness. Well, why is that? Because he came as the second Adam to redeem us from the curse of the law that took all of that from us. So I will love righteousness. Now, folks, it doesn't mean that I see righteousness as some burdensome thing. It means that listen, man, I want to do what is right. I want to meet that standard that it's not above and beyond the call of duty. He's not putting me out he's not uh he's not doing something that's going to cause me to have to struggle but man it's 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 something that's fantastic. God, you want me to have that type of relationship. Why is that well because what Jesus would end up doing, he said if he's lifted up, he'll draw men to him. He'll bring us into that place of understanding exactly what he desires and the type of communication and relationship that we can have with him. Folks, listen, the more we do it, the easier it gets. It's kind of like running, isn't it, Thomas? The more you run, the easier it gets. Some of you guys who live weights, the more you lift, the easier that it gets. Folks, listen, when I come into this place of his presence, I love righteousness. The more I do righteousness, the more I love righteousness. And he said, you'll also hate sin or anything that separates you from God. My mother, when she was alive, I think was it was in four years that she passed this coming Mardi Gras season. She was deathly afraid of water. She wouldn't. We, had, we lived in California. We had a swimming pool. I don't know if she ever put her feet in the water. Why she was deathly afraid? Why? Because she had a bad experience in a pond when she was a kid and her airflow got cut off. And so she didn't want anything to do with water anymore because she saw that as something that could rob her of her breath. And so even when we were out there, she made all of us take swimming lessons. My dad or some adult had to be there. We couldn't play in the water. I mean, she was paranoid. We'd go to a public uh, public pool that had lifeguards. She wanted to know the name, address, and the qualifications of all the lifeguards. I mean, she was paranoid about that. Why? Because she had an experience with water, and that water robbed her of her breath. And so she stayed away from it. Folks, it's the same. It should be the same way with us. If there's anything that's come into our life, if there's some type of hidden sin, if there's a circumstance, a, a mentality, anything that, that, that causes you to, 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 to lose the breath of life, that, that which is imputed to you, the Spirit of God. Folks, we ought to run from that like my mother ran from water. We ought to say to ourselves, I don't want to take, make the risk of ever finding myself plunging into something that's designed to take me out. And I love it. It says also that we'll be anointed of the spirit. Now, folks, I'm not talking about chill bumps. I'm talking about we'll be separated unto him. That we'll understand that, listen, our life is to be lived for his good pleasure. Now, listen, I'm not doing God a favor by serving him. May God is demonstrating and restoring his favor upon me of allowing me to be brought back into that, that equation to know him to ascend to the hill of the Lord, to speak to him, to have conversations with him, to be redeemed by him. And finally, it says also the oil of gladness. Folks, listen, let's just simply talk about the joy of the Lord. Now, do you have the joy of the Lord? Do you really? I know people that have the joy of the Lord. I know people here that have the joy of the Lord. I know people in here that may not question whether or not you have the joy of the Lord. Folks, the joy of the Lord is not something you have to work up based upon your circumstance, the joy of the Lord is the, 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 the outflow of being in the presence of God, of being in right standing with him. And folks, listen, when people have to wonder which version of me that they're going to get, man, is that person going to be happy? Is that person going to be sad? Is that person going to be uh, going bite my head off? Folks, listen, that's not the joy of the Lord. That's not the oil of gladness. Folks, for us, when we have the oil of gladness and we're, we're brought back to that place of, of, of right relationship with him, Folks, it transcends life circumstances. It doesn't mean everything. it doesn't mean you're going to jump up and click your heels when you have a blowout on the expressway without a jack or a spare time. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean when the lights get turned off in your apartment that you're thinking, oh, hallelujah, I'm so glad the lights got turned off. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying that, listen, you understand that there's something so much bigger than that that you're not going to get bent out of shape and out of sorts and you're not going to find yourself reverting back to a previous way of thinking just because of circumstance. Why? Because the the oil of gladness has been poured out upon your life. So Jesus came to return us to the previously intended condition of righteousness. Folks, haven't we talked about that numerous times in the past, the whole John 3.16? That people miss it. That for God so loved the world, man, he, he loved the way that it existed before iniquity or evil was found in our hearts. I loved it so much like that, that that before man regarded iniquity in their hearts before evil was found inside of them man, I loved it when it was just so simple that, man that, that, that man walked in such beauty that man walked in such wisdom that man walked in such authority you notice that God loved it when we had more to offer think about that for God so loved it when he actually could trust us with the control Man is always striking forth and looking forth, uh, battling to try to get control. I want to serve God. I want to control my own life. Well, in other words, you want to be back when he says, listen, I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you dominion. Folks, the only way that we can ever actually operate uh, with that is if we operate from the characteristics and the attributes of God. So God so loved it when he could trust man to actually make some good decisions. That's what it says. When man had the attributes and the character to such a degree that he could trust man because he knew that man was going to be reflective of him. That he gave his son, that he sent Jesus to say, listen, let me remind you of what that should look like. Let me remind you of what that relationship looks like. Let me remind you of what you can have. You said to yourself, man, I'd like to see cancer victims get healed. Well, that's what it looked like. I mean, I'd like to see that nobody started it. Well, that's what it looked like. I mean, look at the attributes of Jesus. 5,000 people, i got a sack lunch, nobody goes hungry. You need to take home 12 baskets full. You, you know what the, the, the answer to world hunger is? Living righteously. Do you know what the cure for cancer is? Living righteously. <clears throat> you know what the answer to homelessness is? Living righteously. I, I was a stranger and you took me in. So all of these things that, that men are striving for to somehow circumvent the things of God, he's just saying, listen, I love the way I created this so much that I sent my son to show you exactly how all those things that you strive for get done. That If you just believe upon him, if you allow him to, his characteristics to be imputed upon him, then you're not going to perish. You're not going to find yourself in this chaotic state that's cast away from my presence. But you're going to have the life or live the type of life that I intended for you to live. Stop going back to the law. Stop going back to your flesh. Stop going back to your own mentality. Stop going back to the futility of religion. And just simply, trust me, love righteousness, hate evil, allow me to anoint your life, and find yourself enveloped in the oil of gladness. Folks, that's not what we should do. That's who we should be. And if we're not, we're like them. We're either backsliding or we're backsliding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for, for giving us an example. Lord God, we don't have the benefit, Lord God, of having all the details or all the length of time. or seeing all the intricate things that went on with Adam, Lord God, before his fall. God, most of what we see is what happened in the aftermath. But, Father, we thank you, Lord God, that it wasn't finished there. Lord God, there was still much to be written. Much, Lord God, to be written about your expectation for us, your desire for us. So, Lord God, you came down and you demonstrated it to us. You demonstrated what it looked like before we gave it up. Lord God, we understand that all through the ages of time, Lord God, men did their very best to somehow try to get back to that place, Lord God. But Father, we understand, Lord God, it just comes down to the simplicity of just trusting and believing your son Jesus and understanding if we're in him, Lord God, that we once again, Lord God, by extension and through faith, become a reflection, shaping, Lord God, Lord God, identified with Christ Jesus because we've been crucified with him. Nevertheless, we live. So tonight, Lord God, as we're in this place, Lord God, we don't want to make the mistake, Lord God, on any level, Lord God, that those persecuted Jewish converts made. We don't want the pressures of life. We don't want unmet expectations, hurt feelings, Lord God. Any of those things, Lord God, in any way, Lord God, to allow evil or iniquity to be found in our hearts. Lord God, we want to be a reflection of you. We want to be, Lord God, the lights of God shining into a darkened world. And Father, we thank you that a way was made for us to do just that. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, we ask for your blessing, Lord God, even for our offering tonight, Lord God. Thank you for the, the, the lives we're able to touch, the, the, the hearts, Lord God, that are able to heal, Lord God, that, the many things we're able to do for your kingdom. Lord God, just from the generosity and the faithfulness of your people, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.